Thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. We hope this message will inspire and encourage you. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. There is no way it won't work. It can't be done. It's impossible. Have have those phrases ever entered your mind? Have you ever had those thoughts? It just won't work. I just can't do this. I think we've all been there. And some of you this morning are desperately needing to hear the truth from God's word about how to handle possibilities, impossibilities how to turn impossibilities into possibilities. God has a word for you. You see, Jesus and impossibility, those two do not mix. You can't put those two together. It's like oil and water. God specializes in the impossible and he can do what no other power can do. What are you struggling with? Is it a marriage? Is it a loss of a job? Is it some habit that has its grip on you? Is it some devastating illness? Is it something that's happened abruptly that just came out of nowhere that's caught you by surprise? Or is it something that you've had to deal with day after day, month after month, year after year, and now it's become basically unbearable? Do you believe in miracles? This Bible is a miracle book. God is a miracle God. Jesus is a miracle person. And what seems insurmountable to you and me is entirely possible with the Lord. Not any need in your life is beyond the Lord's reach. In 40 years of ministry, I tell you, people come to me and pour out their heart and I stand there thinking, my soul, I cannot believe this has happened to this family. But every time I can look at them and say, God is bigger than your need. He is bigger than your problem. He is bigger than your situation, bigger than your circumstances. And God's grace is sufficient. The poet says, got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Any tunnels you can't, any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in the impossible. And he can do the impossible for you. There are two threads that go throughout scripture. Two themes. One is God's power is unequaled. The second, God's provision is unlimited. You'll never need more than God. There will never come a time in your life when you'll need more than God. I'll tell you something else too. It doesn't matter who you are and whether or not you think you will, one day you will desperately need God. You know, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be the kind of church that's loving and accepting and full of grace. And we know that sooner or later, everyone is going to think about God And when they do, we hope they'll think about us. Here is a place they can come and find out about God and sense God's presence and feel God's power and find the hope and the help that they're needing. I want you to listen to 
three or four verses of scripture. And as you listen to these words, try not to doubt. Focus on God. See if you believe these words. Jeremiah 32, 17. Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Do you believe that? Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Luke 1, 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Think about your situation. Think about your problem. Think about your circumstances. For nothing will be impossible with God. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. Let's say your wife says to you, uh, Mr., guess who's coming to dinner? And you say, who? And she says, it's more like who's not coming because I've invited 5,000 hungry men and most of their wives and children are coming with them. Houston, we got a problem. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 14 and we're in a series called Snapshots of Jesus. And in every one of these snapshots, two things are happening. Number one, Jesus is revealing himself to us, who he is, what he does, how he works. And the second thing, when somebody meets Jesus, that person is never the same again. And those two things are happening to this very day. Our first snapshot, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. In our second snapshot, he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. In our third snapshot, you remember, Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding in Cana in Galilee. And now we're at our fourth snapshot, and it's found in Matthew 14, and it's really a double exposure. Because what we have, we have a large group of people, thousands, and superimposed upon that picture, that large group of people, we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and with him a little boy with a sack lunch. You see, in this 14th chapter, Jesus, who has launched his ministry now, is demonstrating his power publicly in breaking of the bread, privately by walking on the water. And you'll find both of those stories in here in the gospel of Matthew chapter 14. And we see how Jesus handles impossibilities. He said, but that's Jesus and I'm not gonna find my situation in the Bible. I promise you that every problem you're facing, every difficulty, every challenge, every impossibility, there is a principle in God's word that can be applied to your situation. And that's why we look at scripture because scripture is up to date. Scripture is as up to date as tomorrow's newspaper. You just have to apply the principles. And let me tell you why I selected this fourth snapshot. When you read the gospels, you understand that God in his wisdom, as he inspired the Bible, selected certain things to put there. Not everything is recorded there. 
There was no way it would take a library to record all the, the acts, the events, the miracles of Christ, the words of Christ when he was on earth in his short ministry. And so we have a selection of certain things to fulfill the purpose of God. And there, was, there were things that, that God wanted Matthew to record, and Matthew recorded them. There were other things that he wanted Mark to record, and Mark recorded them. And then Luke, and Luke recorded certain things, and John recorded certain things. There are some things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the same story, a different look at it. Facts and situations added that we don't know in just reading one gospel. But in our snapshot today, for some reason, Jesus wanted to be sure that every one of us would see this picture. So he says, Matthew, I want you to record it. Mark, I want you to record it. Luke, I want you to record it. John, I want you to record it. All four Gospels record this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. God wants us to see this picture. Let's look at it in Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot by, from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We see the multitude, we see the master, we see the miracle. When he says, after Jesus heard what had happened, what is he talking about? Well, you have to look back in scripture and we know at least two things. One is the disciples had just finished their first preaching assignment and it was devastating to them. They were discouraged. They were weary. They were worn out, fatigued. They needed some time with Jesus. They needed some a long time with Christ to, to see if he could encourage them. I remember when I preached my first sermon, I was, had just turned 16 years of age and I preached on Jonah and the fish. I preached everything I knew about that particular story and most of what I knew about the entire Bible. And all together it lasted 12 minutes. And somebody was kind enough to tell me after the sermon that the entire sermon, I had Jonah swallowing the fish. Well, after that sermon, you know, I was discouraged. And so these disciples had had their first preaching experience and they were down, they were discouraged and they needed some time with the Lord. Another thing that was, that was heavy on their minds, John the Baptist had just been murdered by an order from Herod and his head served on a platter. And so Jesus and his disciples with heavy hearts, tired, weary, needed to get away. So verse 13 says they withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. We know where that place is. It's on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, earlier called Tiberias, after the Emperor Tiberius. And the Rocky Mountains, the mountains go up uh, uh, on that eastern slope of the Sea of Galilee, and you'll know that as the Golan Heights that you'll hear about on the, the news because that's a hotly contested area. So they had four miles. They were going across the, the Sea of Galilee to get away from the people. 
Now look what happens. They're trying to get away. Verse 13, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So much for needed rest. I mean, they're going to get away from the crowd, but the crowd so eager for more miracles from Christ, they hurry around the lake and their trip is nine miles. Jesus by boat has four miles to go. They by foot have nine miles. Who gets there first? The people got there first. That means that, that much of the time they were running. You know, when I, was reading, when I was reading this passage yesterday, I just thought in my mind, you know, in all these years of preaching, I've never even seen a deacon running to church. I've never seen anybody running to church. I see most of you drag in. <laughs> you know, sometimes we start with a small crowd and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But I don't see anybody running. They were running to get to Jesus. Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Two things jump out from this verse. The multitude sought him and the multitude stirred him. They stirred his heart with compassion. He didn't get angry. He didn't lash out. Remember we learned last week that souls are more important than schedules to Jesus. Yes, he wanted to get away and needed to get away but he had compassion. That's love in action. His heart went out to these people. And so he ministered to them. Verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now we got a predicament. They're way out in the middle of nowhere. There's not a McDonald's in sight. And the people are hungry. The disciples are in a predicament. They've got all these guests for dinner. They don't have any dinner. A predicament is a frog in the middle of a freeway with his hopper out of whack. <laughs> now, what are they going to do? Well, the disciples said, we've got to send this crowd away. I mean, we can't feed this, this crowd. They're, they're hungry. They're tired. They've they got children, for goodness sakes. Jesus, you've got to get them out of here. It's like Kenny was talking about on Wednesday night in James. Uh, you see a, a person hungry and you say, well, you know, God bless you. I'm going to be praying for you. And then you send the person away without giving them any food. We, we, listen to me. We must be compassionate about the hungry. We must be moved by hungry people. Our church does a lot that, that, that I'm sure that you don't... Uh, know about. But we're involved with helping the needy and helping the hungry all year. Every week of every year. This next week, some of our singles will be going to the homeless in Shreveport as we do time after time. In the wintertime, we were there taking blankets and food. Now we're taking food to the homeless. We feed the homeless when they come in off the streets and that's almost every day to this church. It is our policy, if someone's hungry, we will give them food, always. Now we have, we've had a lot of interesting experiences because we're out here on the interstate and unfortunately, we have trouble finding the people who need the help because we deal with so many con artists and alcoholics. And they don't want 
a, a coupon that lets them go get a meal from a restaurant, they want money. And we don't give them money, they want to get mad and curse and then lash out at the church. And uh, we, we get that all the time. But we don't, uh, you know, we're not going to give somebody money just to get drunk. But we're not going to let anybody go hungry. If they need food, we're going to feed them. If we've got a church member that needs food, we're going to feed them. We support a ministry in the summer for the underprivileged children at camp so they can get help that they're not getting in the homes. We support a home for alcoholics. It does an excellent job in helping people with drug addiction and alcoholic addiction. We support Love in Action, uh, another ministry that's reaching out to the homeless and, and uh, feeds uh, thousands of people. And what you give this church makes us a major supporter in that ministry. We support the rescue mission in Shreveport. And uh, the head of that is, is an, a member of our church. And we're working with them now on Thanksgiving and a way to, to do more feeding people at Thanksgiving time of this year. So I, I just say those things because many times you don't realize all that we do to help hungry people. But we're to be compassionate about those who are physically hungry. But listen to me, we're also to be passionate about those who are emotionally hungry. And that's even a bigger need in Bossier City. People who are hungry for love, hungry for acceptance, hungry for friendship. And people walk in this building. That's why it's so important that we're friendly, that we reach out to people. That when people come here, they know they'll get a smile, they'll get a handshake, or they'll get a hug, they'll get a touch. That they feel loved when they walk into this place. And that's why it's important when somebody walks in and you don't know, you don't know that person, reach out to them. And when somebody starts to sit on your road, don't you look up at them and give that expression, who are you? I mean, this is where I sit every Sunday. No. You move over or you get up and let them have your seat. Because we're to feed people who are hungry for love and acceptance. And this church is to be a church of grace. Folks, we're not better than anybody. We're what we are because of the grace of God. We're beggars telling other people where they can find bread. And we want this church to be a place where people are free and where people come and they get help. People are hungry for forgiveness. That's a spiritual hunger. They want to know that somehow they can be forgiven and they can start over. They can have a new beginning. And that's the hope of the gospel. Verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something needed. It's emphatic. Jesus said, no, don't send them away. You feed them. You feed them. That ought to be written over the door of every church. It ought to be written over every pulpit. It ought to be written over every Bible study classroom. You feed them. It's my great responsibility in this pulpit. Every Sunday morning, I do not know who's going to be here. I don't know why people come. Some come who are hurting. Some coming as a last ditch effort. If they don't get help here, they won't make it. 
People walk in here with all kinds of needs. And I have the responsibility every week and that's one reason I get up at four every Sunday morning and I say the same thing to God. God, you show me who these people are. You make sure that I give them something to eat. Help me to give them something to eat. And that's why I've been your pastor 19 years and I'm still preaching new sermons. Because you don't grow on stale food. And you need something to eat. That's why we preach this book. This is the bread of life. We have the bread. We have living water. We have the answer. But we have the responsibility to share that. Feed them. That's why we're here. Let's move to John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, we find the response of the disciples. We've got a problem. We've got too many people. They're tired. They're hungry. What are we going to do? Verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one of us to have a bite. Do you understand, people, that when you walk with God, God will always have you do something you can't do? <laughs> if you can do anything you want to do, why do you need God? God is always having a church do things it cannot do. And so Jesus is setting Philip up. It's a teaching opportunity. He's giving Philip a test. Philip, are you going to be looking at the master or the multitude? At the savior or at the situation? Well, Philip calculated. Philip took the human approach. He made a commitment. He, 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 he said, we can't solve this problem. It would take a year's wages and that would just give each one a bite. And we don't have that much money anyway. So what did, what did Philip do? Philip didn't take Jesus into consideration. He was looking from a human standpoint. And see, every time you leave Jesus out, you get a wrong answer. I mean, here, here's the problem. Here we got thousands of people who are hungry and they're tired and there's nowhere to go eat. And so Philip is trying to figure out what can be done. And he calculates and says it's impossible. Philip, who's standing there beside you? Jesus. Hello. Is that not what you do when you face your impossible situation? You figure it out in your mind. You say, I can't do this. I can't make it in this marriage. I can't kick this habit. I can't resolve this anger. What about Jesus? Does he not indwell you with the Holy Spirit? Anytime you leave Jesus out, you get a wrong answer. Philip left him out. He said, eight months wages, 200 penny worth, 
200 is the number of insufficiency in God's word. But what about Jesus? He, he could hang the world in space with his fingertips, could fling billions of stars out there. You think he can't feed some hungry people? It's like somebody standing in Super Walmart and saying, oh, if I could just find some food. Or standing at Niagara Falls saying, oh, if I could just find a, a place to get a drink of water. Jesus was there, but he ignored it. Verse 8, John 6, 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Now listen to his response. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Now he's going to tell us how he's thinking. But how far will they go among so many? Again, he leaves Jesus out. Andrew had spotted a lad, a little boy, and he had a handful of poverty. He had a little lunch. Just nothing. I mean, it's just, uh, it's five loaves of thin wafers. It's not, it, it was the food of the poor, barley. Five thin wafers and two teeny weeny fish. That's all he had. He, he, he brought this little boy to Jesus and said, this is all we've got. There's one thing I want to mention about Andrew, though. He's only mentioned three times in Scripture. Every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. What better thing can anybody do? As far as we know, he never preached a sermon, never wrote a book, never performed a miracle but he kept bringing people to Jesus. But Andrew was thinking in arithmetic. He was thinking from a human standpoint. He minimized the situation. He looks at the crowd. He looks at the lunch. He looks at the little boy and he says, this won't work. We've got thousands of people. We've got one lunch. This sack of poverty is barely enough to feed one little boy. It would only make a man angry to give him that little amount of food. So we have the multitude and we have the master. Verse 17. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Here's where most people miss it. As long as you have it, in your control, you'll miss the miracle. As long as you're trying to control it, it's only when you give it to Christ can you expect him to do what you can't do. This little boy was willing to take what he had and to give it to Jesus Christ. As the song says, little is much when God is in it. Jesus, who could take a slingshot in David's hand and kill a giant, who could take a jawbone in Samson's hand and slay 10,000 Philistines. You take what you have and you give it to Jesus. The snapshot, hungry people, thousands of them, worried disciples, thinking from a human standpoint. A little boy with a sack lunch, a handful of poverty, and then the Son of God who was waiting to perform a miracle.
Verse 19. Here's the miracle. He directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Notice Jesus directed the people to sit down in fifties and hundreds. Jesus organized the crowd. Organization is not of the devil. We don't serve a random God. God is a God of order. That's why we have an organized church. Then Jesus gave thanks. God is the source of all blessings. God is the one who's promised to meet our needs. And then he took the lunch and he began to break it up. It's only when we are willing for God to break us is God willing to multiply us. God can't use pride. It's when we're broken and we admit that we can't do it on our own, that's when God is willing to step in. They all ate and they were all satisfied. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet without calories, fat-free. You say, how do you know that? I don't. But if he's just going to make this multiply, then surely he made it calorie free. I know one thing, you never get a bad meal from Jesus. He satisfies. The world doesn't satisfy. They keep wanting more and more. Jesus satisfies. Remember last week when he did the, the miracle of turning the water into wine? Filled the water pots half full. I think I could preach Harrison. Y'all just look at me, just like you're looking at me right now. How full were the water pots last week? To the brim, thank you. To the brim. That's how God does. God gives, listen to me, God always gives what you need and more than you need. Always. You'll, God will never be in debt to you. God will always give back to you more than you ever give to him. So they were all fed, and then we've got 12 baskets left over. You say, well, what happened to those, what did they do with those 12 baskets left over? I don't know, but I got an idea what happened to one of them. I believe they gave one of them, that little boy, that gave up his lunch. Said, you take the basket home to your mama. Can't you see a little boy coming home, running in the house, saying, mama, you ain't going to believe this. You know, I went to see Jesus and there was a crowd. I mean, there were thousands of people there and everybody was hungry and I was the only one who had any food. The little lunch you fixed me. And the only thing I knew to do was take it to Jesus. And I gave it to Jesus and he started breaking it and it started multiplying and everybody there ate from my lunch. It was cool. You see what I'm talking about? Nobody meets Jesus and goes away the same person. Those disciples said the little boy and his mom were bread men. They just kept handing out bread. And maybe he said, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a bread man. I want to give bread to men, to people. I want to feed those who are hungry for something. They all had a response to the problem. Philip, it won't work. It's impossible. 
Andrew tried to work something out, but all we have is one little lunch. There's nothing we can do. Send them away. The other disciples, as far as we know, they were napping. But the little lad said, I, what I got, I want to give to Jesus. And with wide eyes open, he waited to see what Jesus would do with what he gave him. I'm telling you, it'll, it will surprise and thrill you to see what Jesus will do with what you give him. You see this, some of you sit there and say, you know, I just, I have so little. And so I don't do anything. I, I, don't, I just don't have that much talent. I mean, if I could sing like PJ, I, I just, I'd just go all the country singing. Hey, you probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't do any more than you're doing right now because the problem isn't talent. Hello? The problem is availability, given what you have to Jesus and letting Jesus work the miracle. You see, the Lord doesn't need talent. In fact, many, many times, talented people have a problem doing what God wants done because their talent keeps getting in the way. Pride gets in. Look what I can do. But you see, all God wants is for you to give him what you have and say, God, you bless it. You multiply it. Same way with giving to our building program. You say, well, you know, I would give that building program, but I have so little. There are other people who can give so much more. My little wouldn't make a difference. That little boy's lunch, did it make a difference? Huh. I would say it did. Do you know, listen to me, only heaven will know the biggest gift for the building program. The biggest gift may turn out to be the smallest gift to us was the biggest gift to God. And God takes it and multiplies it. it it's, it's not the size of the problem or the need but it's our willingness to turn it over to him and say, here, here is my little bit. Now, God, you've got to do the rest and expect a miracle. Let me give you four things to remember when you're facing impossibilities. Four things to remember when you're facing impossibilities and all of us face them. Number one, Remember that with God, there are no impossibilities. We read it right out of God's word. God is able. You need God plus nothing to make it. God says, my name is I am. Whatever you need, he says, that's what I am. And if it takes a miracle, God is capable of a miracle. Can God provide for you? Yes. Much better than you can provide for yourself. With God, nothing is impossible. Secondly, all God needs is what you have. If what you have, if you give what you have to him and it's all you have, that is enough for God 
to do whatever he wants to do. See, a lot of times we just try to help God. If I can ever get to the place where I can do this and do this and this, then I think God will help me. Give God what you have. And what you have is all God needs to do what he wants to do. Number three. It is not the size of your need. It is the size of your God that matters. Not how big your need is, not how great your problem is, it's how big is your God. Number four, remember to focus on God. Not on the problem, not on people, not on circumstances, not on situations, but focus on God. Do you believe in miracles? God is a miracle God. You say, well, I, I, I don't deserve a miracle. No one of us deserves a miracle. God is a God of grace. God wants to give us a miracle even when we don't deserve it. God wants to take what we have and bless it and multiply it. So whatever you're facing in your life, and I don't know what it is. If it's a marriage and you're saying this simply, we're not going to be able to work this out. Then what you're doing, just like Andrew, you're ignoring Jesus who's standing right beside you. The one who could put the stars up there. The one who says with me, nothing is impossible. That means that your marriage has hope. And I can show you couples in this church that are together because of a miracle that God did. And God can do it. That habit that you're struggling with, that you say, I've tried everything in the world, I cannot do it. You can't, but God can through you. He's standing there with you. He's waiting for you to give it to him and let him help you. God is a God of miracles. Whatever it is, are you willing to let God help you? Are you willing to lose control and let God do it his way? Do you really believe he can do it? Let's bow for prayer. God speak to hearts across this building. I don't know what people are needing today in this place, but I know there are great needs here. Some are hungry emotionally, needing love and acceptance. Some are hungry spiritually, needing forgiveness, meaning and purpose. Some are needing a financial miracle. Some are needing a miracle, a miracle in their marriage. Father, help them to know that you are available and that you have all power and that you're more willing to give than we are to receive. 
thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok.